Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. Let me lead you in a brief prayer. If you'd bow your heads with me and focus your hearts upon the Lord with me and let me lead you in a brief prayer. First, let me lead you to to praise God. Just pray something like this in your heart. Lord God, I praise you for you are. And tell him why he's worthy of praise. Lord God, we praise you. And secondly, if I could lead you to pray for other people, perhaps it's even someone in this room or someone who's on your heart this morning, whoever that other person is, I'd invite you to pray this way. Lord God, I pray for whoever that woman or man or boy or girl is. I pray that you'd help them. Pray that you'd work in their life. And as I lead you in this simple prayer, there's only three. We start with God and then other people. And I got to end you with praying for yourself. Would you pray this way? Living spirit of God. Would you do a work in me? I'm not asking about tomorrow. I'm not asking about next year. Would you do a work in me now, in this moment, by your holy word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isaiah 63 and 64 is one of the most passionate prayers that's recorded in the Bible. I want to read it from verse 15 of Isaiah 63. We'll just probably cover verses 1 through 4 of chapter 64 today. It says in 63.15 in prayer, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation where are your zeal and your might, the stirrings of your inner parts and your compassion, Are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. If you were here last week, we covered those verses. 64, 1 through 4 is what we'll try to cover this morning with the Lord's help. It says in verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence 
as when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts, who works, who moves, who accomplishes, who acts for those who wait for him. Church, if I could draw your attention to the first word in verse one of Isaiah 64, and it's so minuscule that you'll miss it if you don't look for it. It's only two letters. It's neither a noun nor a verb. It's a, an interjection, I suppose. The word O. Isaiah wants to put the O back in your prayer life this morning. He wants to move us to passion in prayer. The structure of this prayer shows that passionate prayer is not always structured. It's not about flowery aesthetics or religious posturing. I dropped an outline in the bulletin that we're not going to follow in the sermon. But it's just meant to show you how the prayer is an interweaving of highs and lows as he pours out his heart to the God who he knows hears and acts for those who wait for him. Passion in prayer. Which comes first, the passion or the prayer? Prayer is where you go and what you do when you have a passion for God. Prayer is where you go and what you do when you have a passion about the injustice in the world. You take it to prayer. And yet, isn't it equally true that prayer is where you go in order to grow in passion for God and in order to rightly understand how to be passionate about the right things. Prayer is what you do with your passion for God and with your passion for the things that are burdening your heart. That is what prayer is. But prayer is also where you go to kindle passion for God and to cultivate a proper passion for the writing of injustices and the needs that are all around us in our lives. Passion in prayer. Have you ever experienced a time of prayer that was just incredibly moving? Have you ever been in a worship service? Maybe you were singing, or maybe it was during the preaching, maybe it was during communion. Have you ever been in a worship service? I have, where you just knew that you were in the presence of the Lord. You just knew. Have you ever been in a, a Bible study in somebody's home? I have, with Christian friends. And you're uniquely aware that the love you are sharing with those men and women is not merely earthly love. It is the presence of the supernatural spirit of God. Have you ever been praying? I have. Have you ever been praying like at a hospital bed, on a missions trip? 
And there's the profound sense that what I'm saying, God is hearing. And he loves me. And he wants me to say these things to him. What Isaiah is pouring out in Isaiah in 63 and 64, particularly even with that O in verse one, O that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's saying, God, I know that you're able to be present with me. And I want that presence in a, in an unusual way. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would, verse three, do awesome things like you did before. With the mountain quaking. He's talking about what happened at Sinai in Exodus 19. He's talking about what happened to Isaiah himself in Isaiah chapter six. You could call it revival. You could call it a Holy Spirit visitation. You could call it renewal. You could call it a movement from obscurity to reality. You could call it a movement from distance to nearness. But what he's asking for is, God, we, he's sort of in plain English saying, God, we know that you're everywhere. And God, we're thankful that you're with us day by day and moment by moment. But God, it seems like this right now is a desperate time and I need the felt sense of your presence. We need your unmistakable intervention in whatever it is we're praying for. Because we know we can't do it. Only the God who makes the mountain smoke can accomplish what I'm asking for. Passion in prayer. The whole prayer is a prayer for God to visit us without holding himself back at all. Sort of saying, Lord, we know that you are present in the holiness of heaven. And we know that we're present here in the mediocrity of the dirt and dust of our lives east of Eden. And God, with what's going on in our lives, we know that the answer is not for the earth to open up and more of us to be present and fix things. We know the only answer, so to speak, is for the heavens to open up and for you to come here where we are. Passion in prayer is only cultivated when you finally settle human weakness and inability. And you finally and fully believe that God acts, God accomplishes, God saves, God does it all. That's resident and evident in Isaiah's praying. The prophet's calling on God to kindle a fire and to, to he says, like you did, basically verse three, do it again like you did when you did awesome things that we didn't even look for. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. He's speaking about what happened at the Sinai event when the, the people were forbidden from going near the mountains. Even the animals were supposed to stay away from the mountain and, and Moses met with the Lord on the mountain. This is described in Exodus. I don't want you to turn to Exodus. I'd rather have you turn to a place where Exodus is re-narrated as a poem of peculiar beauty to me. And that's in Psalm 18. If you turn back to Psalm 18, Isaiah was thinking of the Exodus, the, 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 uh, the Sinai event 
And perhaps Isaiah was thinking of David's beautiful rendition of it in Psalm 18. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read, say, the first couple of stanzas. David says in Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord. There's prayer, verse three. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him, it reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry and smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him and he bowed down the heavens and he came down and thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and he flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. And the Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. And he flashed forth lightnings and routed them. And the channels of the sea were seen. And the foundations of the world were laid bare. And your rebuke O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. We can stop our reading there. Isaiah in 64, one through four, is asking for this kind of a visitation from Almighty God. The Israelites' condition was so desperate that they needed a special visitation from the Lord. Passion in prayer. For you to become more passionate in prayer is one of the reasons why the Old Testament is so thick. Let me explain that to you. One of the reasons why the Old Testament is so thick is so that you can become more passionate in prayer. You see, Isaiah says that you would come down like you have before. That you would do again what you did for your people in the past. You see, the passion comes from the thickness of the revelation of what God has already done. Church, this is why our Old Testament is so thick. It's for the purpose of cultivating passion in your prayer life. This, this is what it did for Isaiah. It was David's experience in Psalm 18. It was the Israelites' experience in Exodus 19 and 20. Not that Isaiah lived that. He wasn't born yet. But he did live it because what was written ahead of time was written for his instruction that he might have hope and that he might place his hope in the stronghold, which is Almighty God. The exact same reason the Old Testament was given to you. Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 10. And so to talk from Isaiah 64 about passion and prayer, 
I'd like to take a couple of moments and answer how. How do we cultivate passion in prayer? We know that we ought to. I don't, I don't know if the majority of our problem is that we don't know that we ought to. I think the majority of our problem is that we don't. <laughs> and maybe part of the reason we don't is because we don't know how. Many of us know that we ought to, but we don't quite know how. We don't feel spiritual enough. We know that prayer is important. Is prayer important? Survey says, yes. But do we struggle with it? Survey says, yes. Why? Well, if the frequency of your prayer life is an indication of your spiritual faithfulness, if the frequency of your prayer life is an indication of your spiritual faithfulness, then one of the reasons you struggle to pray is because you're spiritually weak and spiritually unfaithful. And if the subject matter of your prayer is an indication of your spiritual maturity, and I think that it is, and if the subject matter of your prayer is an indication of your spiritual maturity, then not only how often you pray, but what you pray about is an indication of your spiritual maturity. And the reason that we struggle with it is because we lapse back into immaturity. We know that we should, but we struggle to. Prayer is powerful stuff. You know, another reason that we struggle is because prayer is so powerful and passion in prayer is so life-altering that our enemy wishes to cut it off. That's another reason we struggle. The devil doesn't want you to pray like you should. You have an enemy in your own flesh, your own sin, but you also have an enemy beyond and without who seeks to stop your prayer life. And so if achieving and maintaining, if achieving and maintaining a passionate, consistent, God-centered prayer life is the goal, if achieving and maintaining a passionate, God-centered prayer life is the goal, and if, forgive me, if I'm the one up here teaching about that, then you have the right to ask me, Spencer, have you achieved and are you maintaining a consistent, God-honoring prayer life? What I can say is, uh, though my prayer life isn't what it ought to be, my prayer life isn't what it used to be, and it is something good in my life right now because of what the Spirit of God has done. And if I could talk for a few minutes about how. So there are times, not infrequently, in other words, pretty consistently, there are times when I'll have a good prayer time for half hour, 45 minutes, even an hour. It's not because uh, I take a special pastor pill it's not because I'm super spiritual. <laughs> uh, I, actually don't, I actually don't have the discipline or the wherewithal to just get on my knees and close my eyes and pray for an hour. I, I can't do it. But the way that I can pray for a solid half hour, 45 minutes, or even an hour is that I pray with my eyes open and I pray with my Bible open. I pray with my eyes open and I pray with my Bible open. 
See, to pray as I ought to pray, I have discovered that I desperately need the help of God's spirit. And though I have walked with the Lord for many years, uh, I, I haven't experienced and I do not believe that the spirit of God speaks to me in my intuitions or the whisperings of my ever fluttering butterfly of a heart. The spirit of God speaks to me in the word of God. And so I pray with my Bible open so that the spirit can speak to me and so that I can speak to God. How does the spirit of God help me? By crucifying my flesh, by filling me with his fruit and by speaking to me by his word. So as simple and obvious as it is, if prayer is how I talk to God and the the word, the Bible is how God talks to me, then the fusion of those two things is the essential ingredient for passion in prayer. The fusion of those two things, to, to my experience, is the essential ingredient of passion in prayer, meaning that meditation is utterly necessary. Bible intake, I'm reading the Bible, and then it's like, I put the Bible over there and I walk over here to some weird prayer bench and I'm without my Bible, I'm trying to pray for an hour and I just can't do it. So it's with my Bible open and, and helping me and leading me to pray that I'm able to pray for the right things and I'm able to pray for longer duration of time. It's the fusion of those two things. So for me, I did this uh, yesterday. O- open up the Bible, take a blank piece of paper. I'm reading uh, McShane's program right now. So I was in Deuteronomy. I was in the middle of Isaiah. I was in actually two sections out of Psalm 119. And I was in the very beginning of Matthew's gospel. And so I, I read each, you read four chapters basically. And uh, although he breaks 119 into several breaks for several days, I read those chapters and I've just got a pen and a piece of paper. And as I'm reading those chapters, I'm writing down prompts from those chapters of how to pray. And I have, uh, I had one that hit me right away that was, that made me want to pray for each and every one of our elders by name. And I did because a verse from there just hit me about something we're facing right now. And I prayed that for each one of the guys and their wives. And then there was a verse in there that made me think of my son-in-law and my daughter who are born again and raising kids. And there were some verses in there that made me think of them and I prayed for them. There was a verse in there that made me think of my son who is not yet born again. And I pulled that verse out and I got on my knees and I prayed it for him. And then there was a verse in there that was basically for me. It was a weakness, a sin, a failure in my life, in my leadership. And so I used that to confess and I used that to pray. And I don't know, I don't know, I wasn't on the clock, but it was more than 45 minutes that went by. It was more than an hour probably. And I, I was just, uh, it, the, the right things to pray for came out of the right place in the word of God. This has helped me so much. And just to, just to give credit where credit's due, I didn't make that up. Somebody else taught me how to do that. <laughs> years ago, I went to a, uh, years ago, I went to a pastor's conference up in Minnesota uh, at, at uh, Bethlehem Baptist before it kind of got huge and it was still pretty small. And uh, Pastor John Piper gave a biographical sermon about George Mueller. And he explained that George Mueller was frustrated 
with his prayer life. George Mueller said something like, I would get up in the morning and open the Bible and my mind would wander and I would derive no comfort, no encouragement, and no strength from it. And he said he's changed one thing and everything changed. This is George Mueller's words here. I began early in the morning to meditate on the word of God, searching as it were into every verse to get a blessing out of it. And the result I have found is this. After a very few minutes in the word, my soul is led to confession and to thanksgiving and to intercession and to supplication so that it is as though I don't have to give myself to prayer. I give myself to meditation on the word of God and it immediately turns into passionate prayer. This is, this is what unlocked it for me as far as the answer for how I can maintain passion in my prayer life. And there may even be evidence of that here in Isaiah 64 when he is reflecting on the Exodus event or he's reflecting on the poetic expression of it from the pen of David. And it's the reality of the word of God that is giving strength and passion and clarity and specificity to his prayers. So it's this fusion of God speaking to you and you speaking to God. And I just want to tell you that your mind can change. I'm not claiming to be able to cure your ADD. I'm not claiming to even believe in ADD. But I'm just saying, your, your mind can be strengthened. If you need to talk about ADD, my email is Bowers <laughs> at receiving. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't mean to make light of it if that's a struggle in your life. I just mean that, that, uh, the, the way you have always said, I can't focus and prayer doesn't add up for me. What I'm telling you is, if you believe God, you need to stop saying that. Don't believe in your belief about yourself. Believe in what God has said. And the Bible says that your mind can be renewed. And the Bible says that the affections of your heart can shrivel away from what is perverse and can pant like a deer racing for water. Your heart can pant for what is good and beautiful and true. And it is the spirit of God who does that by the word of God. And as the word of God gets into you and you pray that you begin to be renovated from the inside out. That's the how. And I hope that that's helpful. I want to return to verse four because I just think Isaiah 64 verse four is one of the greatest verses in this long book. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. What a verse, huh? What a verse. If that doesn't put the O back in our prayer lives, if that doesn't put the passion back in our prayer lives. If we are praying to a weak God, if we are praying to a removed, uncaring God, then our prayers can be weak and removed and dispassionate. But if prayer begins with who God is, and God is the kind of God who can do exceedingly beyond what we can ask or think, then prayer deserves to be big and prayer deserves to be bold 
and prayer deserves to be filled with passion. J.I. Packer, that I shared with you before, the simple sentence, the vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. But righteous, holy, exalted thoughts of God are what fills prayer with passion. And I just, you can't get over that little word who acts in the the last part of verse four, who acts for those who wait for him. God moves, God answers, God rescues, God provides, God reverses, God raises the dead. God makes more flour and oil appear in the jar. God moves and God acts. And in the context of Isaiah, Isaiah's big thing is, idols don't move. God does. Idols don't act. God does. Idols have ears, but they can't hear. Idols have eyes, but they can't see. God hears, God sees, and God acts. For those who wait for him in prayer. How mighty is God? Reread Isaiah chapter 40. How mighty is God? Reread Isaiah chapter 40. You ever think about this with your prayer life? You might ask God for the wrong things, but you'll never ask God for too much in the sense of that's too much for him to handle or that's too much for him to do. You'll never do that. You'll never do that. You have to enlarge your vision of God and his power. When you ask God according to his will, the response from heaven will never be, I'll try, but my rotator cuff's a little sore today. That's what I mean. You can, you can never ask God for too much. You might ask him for something that it's not his will to do, but you can never ask him for something that is beyond the strength of his mighty arm. I don't know, but I wonder if Isaiah 64 verse 4 was in the Apostle Paul's mind when he wrote Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. You know, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it's one of those verses that even if you don't like grammatical diagramming, it deserves to be grammatically diagrammed because he's like, he just keeps spinning the same thing further and further and further down because he says now to him who is able, he says now to him who is able to do far more, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, Ephesians 321. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's who God is. If this is our God, why would we be passionate about anything but prayer? Beats me. God is powerful, God is loving, and God is able. What does it mean when it says, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him? For him who wait 
for him. What is prayer? Prayer is speaking to God about who he is and who I am and what I need and then believingly waiting for him. Prayer is speaking to God and then expectantly waiting for him. Prayer is asking God, trusting God, waiting on God. Passion in prayer is about connecting with God, communicating with God, which is simply to say that prayer, your passion in prayer is utterly tied up with who God is and your desire to trust him and wait for him. In a sense, everything that I'm saying in this sermon about prayer is pretty obvious. But it needs to be pointed out because none of us waits for God like we should. None of us prays like we should, but we want to. And it's my joy to point out the obvious because the obvious works. The obvious is helpful. You ever have a question that the, an- the, the, the answer to the question is so obvious that it's staring you in the face, but you miss it? This happened to me yesterday. We were having uh, uh, guests come over, and so whenever you have guests come over, you try to make sure the house is clean. So I had to clean the house, uh, or I had to clean like an eighth of the house. Amy cleaned seven-eighths of it, but <laughs> anyway, I was, I was sweeping up the laundry room. That's where the dog is, and his dog food is everywhere. And then I looked, at the, I looked at the little trash can in our laundry room, and it was like, filthy inside. It's a white trash can. You ever look at the inside of your trash can? It's like nasty. So I was like, I'm going to do a good job and I'm going to clean the trash can. So I picked up the trash can. I sprayed the cleanser in there and I had two paper towels. I wiped it all. It was totally clean. So I'm holding this clean trash can and I've got these two dirty paper towels. And I look down where the trash can should be. I'm like, who moved the trash can? I want to throw away these dirty paper towels and they go in the trash can. Why isn't the trash can where I want it to be? And I'm holding the trash can the whole time. I'm like, you idiot. You missed such obvious things. Well, that's, that's, can I say without exaggeration, that's like every breakdown, melt out problem in your life is because God really is there. And he really is that powerful. And in Jesus Christ, he really cares. But you don't talk to him. And you don't trust him. And you don't wait for him. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Let's pray. God, in your merciful goodness, would you carve into our hearts that there is no God like you? And would you burn into our souls that there is no love like your love? And would you cause us to ever remember and sing That there is no love like the love of Jesus. There's no power like the power of Jesus. And would you make us become women and men who wait on the Lord? Would you make us women and men who are passionate in prayer? 
who through that fusion of your word entering our heart and becoming our meditation and then becoming our prayer, that we become conformed to the image of Christ, that we can say fully, fully and completely, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, continue and complete the beautifully good work that you have begun in us. And may we be women and men of passionate prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.